Welcome to episode 219 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, a.k.a. the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, actor Alex Demers talks with us about acting in immersive productions. You might know Alex from... uh, Speakeasy Society shows. Uh, he was in Johnny Three. Uh, you might also know him from the Blue Blade Saga, uh, and I most recently caught him uh, at uh, the Cold War Lounge, which popped up in September. Uh, that's actually uh, I saw I saw Alex that uh, we we had a little scene together, and I was like, Alex Demers, I want to talk to him, um, and then I did. Uh, here on the podcast the, the the podcast is just an excuse to like have a conversation with people um it's a pretext for a socially awkward person to do that just know that's true of every podcast like everyone i mean come on you know anyone who listens to uh to mark maron's show knows that's true um mark maron you know built an entire career uh around the idea of uh you know just finding an excuse to talk to people okay um I'm going to get in so much trouble for that one, maybe. No, no, no one cares. No one cares. Uh, I care. I care. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that that was a Star Wars quote. Okay, uh, I'm excited this week. I'm excited because I'm about to head down to the Without Walls Festival, uh, where I get to catch new work from Third Rail Projects and from Optica Modena. Um, I just caught a show last night here in Los Angeles uh, this um, Let's let's call it like an experimental musical piece. Um, And experimental sometimes implies cheap, and this is not not cheap in the least, Um, called Cages. I'll talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this. But there's there's a bunch of stuff um, that I want to billboard for you, because the other reason why I'm excited is that da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I finally get to talk about the 2020 Summit. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, I think, um, yeah, we hadn't announced, um, uh, we, we had signed everything last week when I recorded the podcast, but, uh, we were going through the final checks. So on Monday, we announced that the next great gathering of the immersive creative community is going to be drum roll, please. Thank you. In Pasadena, March 27th through 29th, um, we're we're hitting the reboot button. Um, that which was uh, the immersive design summit is no more. Uh, the team is reorganized. Um, that that doesn't mean everyone's gone away. It just means everyone's taking new roles. So here's what's going on. Um, we're going to make a nonprofit. I've been meaning to do this for a while, uh, and it's really happening. Uh, we're making a nonprofit. No pro is going to be owned by that nonprofit. And so too will the summit and festival. We're going to do a pilot festival next year. Uh, how big is the festival going to be? Depends on how much money we raise. Simple as that. Uh, will we do some fundraising around it? Oh, oh yeah. Um, will we do a crowdfunding raise for the festival side? Maybe that's an option. Um, but what we're definitely going to do is form this nonprofit organization so that we have a bulwark 
for the work that we do in the summit, in the festival, uh, here at NoPro. Uh, we're talking with partnering with some of our friends uh, to bring them under the umbrella of the nonprofit. And uh, we have some long-term plans in terms of uh, building some more structural stuff that will let us uh, let us go and um, help develop the next generation of immersive, interactive, and experiential work. Um, that is the whole purpose. We are here for the long haul. Uh, so, uh, everything that you give to us right now heads towards that goal and everything's being, uh, drawn together. For those of you who are, uh, have been following, uh, the course of things with Leia, that's not going away. Leia's, Leia's function is to be kind of the, the democratic body of the community. Uh, we've set the whole thing up in terms of the bylaws where everything gets elected, but that's for another day. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about there, don't worry about it right now. Uh, there's there's some announcements coming down the pike there in terms of what's been going on because uh, we 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 finally cleared some big hurdles. Okay, so the new summit is called Here H E R E. You can find the information at Herefest H E R E F E S T dot com. You can also uh, check out uh, Herefest on Facebook. Uh, we are slowly but surely piecing everything together because, um, again, we're kind of hitting the reboot button. We're starting from uh, scratch. And, yeah, uh, here's what's up in terms of who's on board. Uh, Gabe of Adventure Design Group, who set the things in motion for IDS. He is our institutional chair for programming for the summit. Uh, Steve Boyle has been tapped to be our global outreach and uh, a creative producer on the summit. Uh, Eric Vossmeyer, who's been working on Blackout in New York, uh, he's coming on to run our events division. And uh, Nagin Singh uh, of the Santa Monica Pier is our 2020 summit programming co-chair. And that's just a few of the folks who we've got plugged in to the setup. Um, and there's going to be more coming down the pike. Uh, people have already expressed interest in volunteering. Uh, we're totally going to have the need for volunteers. We're crewing up right now, and uh, we are looking for sponsors. So we are actively recruiting sponsors. If you have an interest in sponsoring uh, the next summit, uh, contact us. Uh, write me, noah at herefest.com. That way it doesn't get mixed in with the no pro email. So that's it. That's that's the big news. Three days in Pasadena at the Pasadena Playhouse. I should probably mention that. Thank you to Danny Feldman and the team over there for partnering with us on this. Um, Pasadena Playhouse means we get to increase the capacity. Uh, the first IDS was 100 tickets. The second was 200 tickets. This year we're going to be able to have 300 tickets for the course of the whole summit. And on the Saturday when we have our keynote speakers, we're going to open up some extra capacity uh, because the main theater is um, holds over 600 people. So if price is an issue for you, um, if, you if you've, if you've uh, wanted to go but, but couldn't for some reason, uh, we're finding ways to get more people in the house uh, over the whole thing. And indeed, we're going to have a pilot festival this year, and so we intend to show some work uh, alongside everything and are banging out the details on that um, concurrently. 
programming announcements uh, will start up in November. Uh, and tickets will be on sale either in December or January, uh, depending on some timing issues. Um, I, I feel like in some ways I'm kind of like, oh, January cleaner in some ways. But I also know that everyone wants to uh, plan their travel ahead of time. So um, there's also a very good chance that we'll put things on in December. Um, there will not be an application. This has turned into a whole thing about it. No, there won't be an application process quite like there was in previous years. Um, there will be an application process for the subsidized tickets. Uh, what uh, we may do is just we may apportion some stuff based off of uh, the different fields and just be doing a bit of a lottery system uh, for people in those fields. And for folks who've attended uh, IDSs before, uh, there'll be some opportunities for folks to like kind of get in because uh, we want to try and make sure that we've got some continuity going on here. Um, yeah. That one up being like way more about that than I was intending to originally, but I feel like there's, there's things to share. And frankly, I've been bottled up for <laughs> some time now <laughs> wanting to share them. So no surprise that it all came out. Just this blah, blah, blah. All right. Um, in now, in the present moment, uh, it's time to thank our latest Patreon backers. We hit a wonderful milestone this week. We're up to uh, 280 backers, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and our latest two are Nathan Baerbaum and The Siren School. Uh, so just two this week. Um, and just to be blunt, yes, uh, things are going great. We've got the festival and the summit coming along. Uh, you know, which will require us fundraising and finding things, but just we we need the support on Patreon. Um, we really do. Uh, you guys hear it enough, so I don't want to belabor the point. Just know that the state of California is not making it any easier with the new laws around freelancing, which go in effect on January 1st, um, which limit freelance writers to 35 articles a year to any given publisher, which if, like me, you were planning on supplementing your income by selling work to a handful of publishers um, and knowing that rates aren't amazing, uh, well, that plan just got nuked from orbit in order to break up Uber and Lyft. So thank you, State of California, for um, destroying my uh, my contingency plan. So uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the, the Patreon's not a joke. It's not it's not for funsies. Uh, it's it's required for our survival at this point in the game. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, we, uh, you know, I'd love to see 20 new backers by the end of the month. Uh, I know a lot of you already back, so I'm not asking you to up your pledge. Please don't do that. It, it always it always makes me sad. Um, I mean, I'm glad when you do it, but it also makes me sad because that's not the goal. Is to The goal is not to monetize you guys to, to death. The goal is to expand, expand, expand. So if you know people who read our stuff, talk about our stuff, rely upon our stuff and, and just say like, Hey, are you backing? Um, just, just that word of mouth is going to go a long way. And if we got 20 new backers at $5 a month, you know, um, bumps, bumps another hundred dollars in and gets us a little bit closer, uh, to where we need to be. Um, and I'll just be shameless next week is my birthday. So, uh, that would be really nice. <laughs> I'm blowing all the stops here. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, help us get the word out, please. Um, because this world is not making it any easier to do this stuff. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not counting on, 
the benevolence of benefactors uh, other than those of you who are in contact with us every day. All right. The sustaining backers, speaking of which, for this venture are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Thank you all. Um, you are the rock upon which this church is built. Okay. Um, this was an exceptionally long opening, uh, fueled by the fact that uh, I got to get out of here. Um, and uh, we won't do as much on the back end. I'll talk about cages a little bit. Uh, but now, without further ado, and there's been much ado about nothing, uh, no, about something, our interview, our conversation with Alex Demers. <laughs> Alex, thank you for joining me here. Great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Noah. Um, we were we were talking about pencils before, uh, <laughs> of all things, before yes. before I, the official start of the recording. <clears throat> but uh, you were talking about being a being a feel guy, and um, and and somehow that slipped us onto the track of like how you got started acting and uh, where you went to school. So you were mentioning Skidmore and then CalArts, and I think mm-hmm. CalArts is not how I know you, but probably without CalArts, I, I might not know you because it was a speakeasy society that uh, I think the first time I, I saw you in work. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's, it's, I trace, it's funny. I think that I say this about my time in New York a lot, but I can trace, I would say 75% of the work that I did in New York to a single audition mm. by somehow by like connections and people that I met and, and, and stuff. And, it's funny because my, I can certainly, like, I can, I can trace my my introduction to immersive theater. All the way back to those days too. Um, so I met uh, Genevieve Gearhart in two thousand and four at the Williamstown Theater Festival, and we were there as apprentices, and um, we maintained a friendship for all of these years. And and then through her, I met Julianne. Uh, of the speakeasy also, of course. And uh, then Julianne came to CalArts a few years later and convinced Genevieve to come, where Genevieve came as an actress. And then Genevieve convinced me to come to CalArts, saying that this is like kind of, this is like your cup of tea. You know, this is the kind of weird place that you need to, <laughs> you need to be making theater and making art. And so because of Genevieve, I, I mean, she's the one that turned me on to the school. And then I kind of became obsessed with, with the idea of going there and, was lucky enough to be accepted. So then I, I came out here and obviously continued my work with Genevieve and Julianne. So I had worked with them in New York City before, of course, before the speakeasy was a thing. Yeah. Um, but had done some really interesting work with them in New York and th- then got to kind of work with them in a professional sense again after graduation. Um, so that's that's been a ton of a ton of fun. Yeah, so certainly they and through them, uh, I've met lots of immersive people and have really kind of gotten immersed in the world of immersive theater. Let's let's dial in on 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 acting uh, as a whole and what kind of brought you in and then kind of slide into the the immersive side of it because mm-hmm. I think um yeah, I'm I'm curious I'm curious your your arc and uh particularly not only like the craft as someone who practices it, but the craft as someone who will go to a production and, and sort of what it, 
what what you what you feel or or are thinking as when you go in as a as a participant as well. So, um, what got you into acting? Man. As we do the inside the acting studio version. Yeah. No, of, this uh, is great. What, when was at what moment did you realize it was my mother who got me into acting? <laughs> um, it's always the mother. No, you know, I, but 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 honestly, but honestly, when I was really young, maybe four or five years old, I was in a production of James and the Giant Peach. I played a ladybug, but was not like the ladybug. It, it, Just the, a ladybug. well, yeah, because the ladybug in that show, she was played by someone that at the time I thought was a big grown up, but was probably twelve or something. Right, and. And I was one of her ladybug children. And there was a group of us, four and five-year-olds or something, that were her ladybug children. And my mother sewed me a little cape that was, you know, red with black spots or black with red spots, I forget. And I remember the moment at which we got to run. Our only thing I think we had to do was to run from offstage to run on stage and hug our ladybug mother. And I remember racing the other four and five-year-olds to get to her so that I could be the one that actually got to embrace her and not embrace the backs of other four and five-year-old children. Um, so that was my introduction to acting. <laughs> so that's when you <laughs> that's when caught I got the, the bug. bug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear that. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. And But then, yeah, then I think I started getting serious about it in high school. There's a moment at which the, I can credit my high school... Um, theater director mm. with actually like really believing in me in a serious way. Um, I think that I, I enjoyed acting. I remember acting in grade school and I remember acting um, when I was in middle school and stuff like that. But it was always kind of a fun thing to do. And I went to an all boys school from seventh to 12th grade. So it was also a great way to hang out with the girls, yeah. which I was interested in when I was 13 and 14 years old. It and happens around then. Yeah. It, yeah I, I think that that's, um, but it, um, but I, I remember that that Mr. McLean, John McLean, was really Wait, one of your acting teachers. Yeah, was, was John, John McLean. McLean. Yeah, I know. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. How much hell did he get from students? None. Effectively constant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but um, but Mr. McLean, I think, was one of among the first people. I can my art teacher then, and woman Holly Gettings. Uh, who was our technical director at the time, and uh, Whitey Morange, they were all in the art department. And they, I think that they really saw that I was beginning to get serious about it and kind of took me seriously for it. So mm-hmm. at that point, at some point in there, it st- stopped just becoming a fun thing to do. Um, and it became something that I was like, hey, I'm, I enjoy this like other people enjoy doing other things, and maybe this is worth pursuing in a more serious way and I think I remember I remember the moment it was in when I was in ninth grade we did a production of Wait Until Dark which is a great show and based on I mean whether it came before or after the movie I should know but I don't um it's a great Audrey Hepburn movie it's fantastic it's a thriller she plays this blind woman who um these like these basically these burglars come in and she gets tied up in this big crime but she's blind and uses her knowledge of the place in complete darkness to outsmart these criminals in the end it's like terrific um but we did a production of that in ninth grade and I remember or at least I've convinced myself that one night I I came on it may have been in rehearsal but it may have been during a show they had done this really cool set it was supposed to be like a basement apartment and I remember coming in and for a moment or an instant, I thought that I saw 
a wall that wasn't there. Mm. You know, like I, I thought that I saw a wall where the audience would have been. You saw the fourth wall. Yeah, like, yeah. but it was the apartment wall. And just for an instant, the moment I realized I thought I saw it, it was gone. Yeah, yeah. I was probably standing there not saying my lines or something. And But I remember the feeling of that where I was like, whoa. Like I, I just convinced myself of something that is completely patently untrue yeah, yeah. that's neat yeah and i think that that was the moment for me where i was like trying i became about chasing that yeah i know what you mean like um like in college like i was always i was always trying to like look out there and see what i was supposed to be seeing not see the audience so if it was like tuscan fields because we were doing much ado or wherever that's supposed to take place like I was trying to see those fields and yeah. not just like, you know, the, 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 the dim, you know, almost, almost reflected light, you know, kind of dappling uh, a bunch of moms and dads. Yeah. Uh, I think, heads. I think a lot of people talk about the suspension of disbelief yeah. in, for an audience, mm-hmm. you know, it's important for the audience to suspend their disbelief when they come to see a show or when they come to participate in an immersive show. But it's, it's also very important for an, an actor to suspend a certain degree of disbelief, almost more important because you are so intimately familiar with the piece and with the way that it's happening, you know, that you see all the inner workings of the machine. And so there's, there's even more that you somehow need to either hide from yourself or, um, you know, choose not to believe. Cause there's an, the, the, the always felt to me that the key to a, a great scene was the actor's ability to be surprised by what they knew was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's different in, in, in improv, of course, because you, you don't know what's, what's coming. And I wonder just pivot into immersive for a second. Is that, is that something that comes into the immersive formula, particularly in, in one-on-ones because you're working with people who you know don't know their lines. They don't know what's coming. Yeah. I mean, I, I I studied improv for a long time or practiced improv or went to improv school and stuff like that, you know, UCB and the Magnet in New York and um and and, and love that. Um love that stuff and love what it love the immediacy that it brings to the relationship you have with the audience. And so immersive is this great world where you get to be in a show and also engage in these unpredictable sorts of scenarios. And so yeah, I think that that there's you, you you kind of become a junkie for it in a way as an actor, as a performer, you kind of live for those moments where you're going to have to feel the new question or, or deal with something that you haven't seen before. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny, like as immersive actors, you people, of course, everyone, it's like me at a restaurant. I make like a lot of stupid dad jokes, the kind of jokes that the waiters have heard and having waited tables. I know this for a fact have heard hundreds of times that night. You know, I'm like that guy that's just making those same stupid jokes. And, um, and so there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that come to immersive theater, of course, that, that have, you know, that, that have questions or, or that during their experience, things will arise that the, that will, that will cause them to ask a question or to, to do something. And often you, you know, lots of times you see the same things or you hear the same questions, sorts of things, you know, not exactly maybe, but the same sorts of things you come to expect, but always 
you know, every night there's always a few instances where you have to react to something that was completely, you know, out of left field or completely new. I think someone trying to throw the scene sometimes? Or? I mean, it stinks when somebody tries to do that, really. I mean, it stinks when someone's trying to break it. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you're not trying to break it, there's, in, in a good immersive world, there's almost nothing you can do wrong. Yeah. The only thing is don't try to break it. Yeah. And so when people try to break it, you know, certain characters, I guess, are more equipped to deal with that than others. Um, and... I've played some characters that are very well equipped. You know, it wouldn't be out of character for me to take them aside and give them a little talking to. Um, but other characters, you can't do that. Other scenarios, other plays, you just can't do that. Um, so it's kind of disheartening when someone does that. Um, but yeah, you have to learn to roll with it. But more so like when people are just so into it that their minds are moving faster than yours. Or they're thinking of things that, that you, you didn't even think that anyone would think. And then you've got to deal with that and kind of roll with it. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. That's actually when the, the, when the creators give room for that kind of agency on part of the audience, uh, it, it definitely kind of, it ratchets, uh, ratchets up, um, ratchets up how responsive the world should feel. And so it, it's, it's like you start to feel like, Oh, this feels more immersive because I have this agency, but it depends on how, if the creators have given the actors that freedom. It's interesting you say like some characters are more equipped than others because mm -hmm. my, my mind instantly started thinking of like, oh yeah, that takes kind of a, a high status character, someone who's like knows what's going on, someone who's who's got a very clear intention and, and a, a clear take on the world because then they can bend it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if someone's kind of lost, if a character was lost and befuddled, they could be led astray totally. by by what the audience wants to do. Right. Yeah. And I, th I mean, so sometimes if you're playing, like if you're kind of playing a mean guy then you can, you can be mean Yeah. if you need to be, Yeah. you know, I mean, and, and it's within the world, but the last thing you want to do as an actor is, is kind of follow that, that world breaking line. So you want to, you know, of course you want to guide people back into the world as soon as possible. What, what are effective tools that, that you find showrunners are, are give you to deal with that? Um, you know, I think that the, 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 when a lot of time is spent in world development, there's a, a lot, you know, of course there's a lot that goes into these shows that, that is not immediately seen, even in huge worlds, deep worlds. Um, you know, Johnny, Johnny cycle, for example. I mean, that's a, that's a world that is very built out and very deep, but I mean, Chris, Chris Porter and, and, and the whole speakeasy team um, they, they have a, an understanding of that world and of those characters that, you know, that's the, what you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. And, and so when, when you're kind of given enough of that knowledge and trusted to develop more of it as a performer, you can sort of draw on that wealth of knowledge. It's like that there's this whole world that's there to back you up. So if somebody asks you a question that catches you off guard, you can almost answer honestly. And, and that, I mean, that for me is the goal, you know, you want to, it's not that you want to prepare an answer. Mm. It's not like I'm walking around. It's not like Alex is walking around with prepared answers to every question I might get asked in a given day. But I know, you know, I know where I went to school. I know, I know, I remember wait until dark, you know, I remember that play. I remember that moment. So it, when you ask me that question, I, I have an answer on, on deck yeah. kind of in a sense. 
So, so that, so kind of the time that's spent investing in the world as a whole, that's the, um, that, that is the most powerful tool, I think. Does that, does that tend to be executed as a matter of, um, writing or as a matter of device sessions? Cause I start to think of, for some reason I flashed on, um, of all things, the CW show Arrow, which is coming to its end this mm-hmm. season, and trying to watch the first season because I was a big comic book nerd and absolutely hating it, and then coming back around in the second season because someone had mentioned it had gotten better, and seeing this marked difference between just how the cast had gelled because it had taken an entire year for mm-hmm. them to find their characters, but also the writers were relying upon and the actors were relying upon stuff that had happened in the first year of them working together to drive the drama they were running. So when the actors were calling upon a moment, they weren't just relying on their imagination. They were relying on scenes they had already played out. Yeah. And, and and that kind of soap operic uh, construction that lets, you know, long running series characters have a lot of depth to them because it's, it stops being like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I've got this memory and a script that I'm supposed to have versus, Oh, we played that scene. Right. Yeah. You have, there's a depth to the relationships. I, I mean, that's yeah. true too of, of any longstanding company. I mean, you're, you're working with the same performers again and again. And even though the shows might be different, you develop a sort of uh, a history with these people, you know, and a lot of us went to Cal arts and, and, and of course there's a lot of people now joining, um, joining the company and I'm, I'm meeting new people all the time. And you, it's about developing that vocabulary, that, that shorthand that you can sort of look at someone and, and see, see them really see them mm. and, and that you can kind of make a collective move. I think that that, 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 that cohesion is felt by the audience too. Um, I have a little theater company myself and, and we don't really do immersive work per se, but I like to work with, with this, a lot of the same actors over and over again, not just because I think that they're some of the best actors around, but also because they have this shared history. We've been through several productions together, so there's a depth to, the, to their relationships in performance that is kind of intangible, um, and, but I think somehow palpable um, by an audience. Can something be intangible and palpable at the same time? Love. There's <laughs> <laughs> one of those dad jokes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but in seriousness, maybe, yeah, um, yeah, like that feeling, but you can't put a finger on it, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, yeah, definitely, definitely, without with, <clears throat> with without question. So, I guess directly to answer your question, does it have to do with writing or or, or with or with like you know workshops and stuff like that? I think the answer is both. I think. You, you can exhaustively write something, a character or history or something like that. And there can, you can read a tome of backstory or the play could just be full of it. Um, or it could be just in the way that the, the scenes are built. Yeah, I think it's both. I think that if something is overwritten, you know, maybe there's too much material there or there's you're constantly trying to how can I horn in this bit of text that I have memorized? How can I, you know, how can I subtly change the, the, the question that this person just asked me so that I can include something that I have memorized up in my head here? Um, I mean, that's not, that, that, that too is valuable, of course, but I think at some point it has to do with the world that you've constructed outside of the text also. Mm. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good phrasing on it, the world 
outside of the text. Cause I mean, I'm always thinking about, I'm not always thinking about that makes me think about just, you know, that's, that's sort of the primary task of the actor is to take the text and electrify it mm-hmm. and, and, and like Frankenstein bring the monster to life. That's yeah. I right? love that. Um, when you're, you, you get to see probably a, a fair amount of work as well. Yeah. What, what's, as an actor, what makes going to an immersive fun or interesting? It doesn't have to be fun. Everything doesn't have to be fun. No, not everything. Yeah, yeah, fun is fun is overrated. Um, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> fun, uh, fun's great, but that's just like, something you say when you're being interviewed. Is yeah. fun is overrated? Yeah. That, there's not enough fun. There's not enough fun. There's not fun, enough fun. Right no, now. fun is not overrated. Not, not in America in 2019. There's, right? Yeah. There's, there's not. There is fun. a lack of fun. Yeah. Um, Good cause. Uh, the, um, but the, I think that, um, oh God, let me, let me think, let me think for a second. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, as an actor, when I go to immersive theater, I don't want to, I don't want to act, you know, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to be an actor in the show. I, I, I want to be a participant mm-hmm. as I'm needed or as I'm, I've been asked to, you know? And so for example, like I wasn't in the, um, in the uh, the Kansas cycle, I was not an actor in that, so I was an audience member, and you know, I, you know, I saw each chapter, most of them at least once, um, some of them a, a few times, and I would you know try to choose different paths and stuff like that. I mean, I just love to see actors, if I know them or not. I mean, it's it's very it's really fun to see actors that I know and love and see them performing. Um, but it's it's also really fun to see people that I don't know that are working in a world that I'm either familiar with or that is totally new to me. I mean, I guess I'm just, it's fun to be an audience member. I mean, it's totally fun. I, I'm, I'm the kind of nerd that likes that kind of stuff, really loves being immersed. I mean, whether I'm doing the immersing, Im, Im, doing the immersing, the immersing, the immersive, getting doing, immersed. It's, it's hard because like some folks, some folks like to use immersion, uh, but then I instantly think of scuba diving because yeah. that's what has all the SEO being immersed, um, it's it's a clunky ass word. It is, and but it, it has its uses. It does. I, all right. So whether I'm engaged, performing or not, we can say engaged. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> the, the the degree to which I am engaged. Yeah. Um, so I'm, but I'm like always up for playing pretend. Like as a human, I'm just up for pretend, and so that's 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 something that I rely on as an actor, but that's also something I rely on as an audience member. I love suspending my disbelief. That's. Yeah, I think that that for me there's there's so much of that and 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 sort of being given the opportunity. Like I, I it kind of drives me nuts if like it, if it's demanded from me. You yeah. know, if someone's like oh like oh you are now this and do that. It's like oh, uh. but when the offer's there, it, it you know I was I got this phrase that I that I took off um James Carse, who's this philosopher. Um you know, those who must play cannot play. Right. Yes, that's so good. And, 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 and that, that to me is just essential, right? Like if you're insisting that we play, then suddenly it's serious and we can't really play with it. Yeah, there's got to be a freedom there. There yeah. has to be. I talk about when I, when I direct, um, sometimes I, I talk about the, the conscious suspension of disbelief. Mm. It's, it's not like I'm trying to pull one over 
on the audience. I want you to know where you are. I want you to know you're, you're in a theater or you're in wherever you are. But I want you to want to believe. Not, I'm not trying to trick you into believing. I, I want you to, to decide to leave wherever you are and, and come along for the ride, you know, sort of thing. I, it's like getting on. A, it's like getting a ride on, getting on a ride. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I know what I'm about to do. There's nothing. There's nobody forcing me to get on Space Mountain. I just want to do it. Yeah. You know. And, and then once you're on Space Mountain, like the the more tricks there can be to keep that going, the better. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Put it all. Put it all there in the box. Um. There's there's a couple couple ways we can go here. I never pre- I rarely prepare notes for 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 these things. Oh, this is good. Um, when you're okay, what I mean, other than working with people you know, what draws you to an immersive project these days? What's what's what what sparks interest? <laughs> other than a desire to like keep acting at all costs. Yeah, there's yeah. that certainly. <laughs> um, I guess also it's, you know, what's, uh, what present, what opportunities present themselves. You know, I mean, of course, you know, I'd, I'd love to be involved with, with all projects, all good projects, all great projects. Um, but you know, not, you know, I'm not fortunate enough to, 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 to be offered every role in every show. So of course my, the things I'm involved with are limited in that way. Um, but I guess, I guess it's that it's it's the willingness to play of the group. Mm. That's something that draws me and keeps me. That that's something that will make me want to work with people again. You know, um, I had a uh, you know an opportunity to work with Delusion last fall, and the 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 people on, on board with Delusion are a group of people that are just willing to play. You know, no one's no one's too good for the world they're making. Everyone wants to be in it. And that's so much fun. You know, no one wants to play with a kid that's like, this is for babies, <laughs> yeah. you know? And there, you can, there can be a, somebody like that in any kind of production. So it's when everybody is kind of just on board and supporting one another and supporting the ideas that come out and kind of exploring avenues of adventure. Um, it's a willingness to do that and an excitement about it, kind of in an, uh, like a non-jaded way that that attracts me and would keep me uh, interested in a production or in, in a production company or a director or a cast or whatever. Yeah. I don't think there's too many people who are cynical in in the immersive space yet. No, I but, think that that's what's... It's one of the things that's so wonderful about this, this space is that everyone that's doing it is like, holy cow, look what we're doing. And yeah. it's like such a cool thing. It's so neat to be here. Wait, you can do what? Where? How? Yeah. <laughs> like the only thing... Like we get... A, there's a lot of... Like there's a, I think there's a few people like, you know, like really, really old guard who've been like doing it, you know, for maybe like, you know, the better part of a decade who, you know, they've kind of seen it all, a little bit of jadedness, but like, but deep down inside, you can still tell that like, they're still amazed by it. They yeah. may seem jaded, but you scratch the surface a little bit and like, you just get them going and they won't stop. Totally. Right. Um, what's, um, what's been exciting you lately? Oh man. You mean in the world of immersive theater? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk, we broaden it, you know, like I think sometimes, I mean, actually I think like there is a level at which we we get a little monastic in our in our concern for you know what this world is yeah. and 
and we're on the one hand, I think it's very, I think it's very important that people who, who make the work should see work and, and kind of explore it that way. Um, because if nothing else, it helps reflect back, you know, what the thoughts you've had or, or there's a utilitarian value to that. But also I think that there's a, a broader value to mm-hmm. engaging with the culture as a whole, but then take it that step beyond engaging with the culture as a whole and whether or not we're going to just be in this like little weird gated suburb, uh, or we're going to be part of the larger discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that frame, yeah, like in general, what's, let's get in going. Um, yeah, I, I, I literally have a list on my phone of shows that I, that I'm going to see. I mean, it's October. Yeah, Here it is. So, you know, stuff is like going full, full steam ahead. It's our busy um, season. Yeah. And so there's, I have a list of shows that I, that I, that I want to see on my phone and, and that's growing literally every day. Um, every time I bump into somebody else, they're saying, come see my show or I heard about this show or I went to this show. Um, and so that's exciting. It's exciting. This idea that, that, that there's so much coming up and, and I love this time of year and I love doing all those things. So that, that's really exciting. I think that kind of intrigue, what's intriguing me as an artist right now is I hear more and more about these kind of micro immersive experiences, Mm. these kind of like almost like pop-ups. Yeah. But I, I have, I have some ideas for things like this, like immersive parties Mm. or like one night only things that are, that are not necessarily plays, but they're, they're immersive experiences, um, for, that it kind of, that, that exists ethereally, that exists for a moment that, that, um, I, I think that, that that kind of, that kind of entertainment is really exciting to me. Um, yeah, I have some goofy ideas, but the, but the gist of it is like, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's fun that this is, that, that the world of, that we're getting to this place where, where the idea that, that, that immersive type stuff can be present anywhere. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's great that that huge names and huge companies, production companies and things like that are promoting, you know, The Walking Dead with immersive experiences and and all of that stuff. That's great. I mean, that that does a lot for the immersive community. And I, I mean, I think those those projects are also great. It's, it, these huge budget things are, are fantastic. But what's interesting is to me right now is this, this, this growing kind of like these murmurings of, of immersive little like sideshows yeah. that are happening. Well, there's some, there's something to things being ephemeral and culture being something that isn't, doesn't have to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I mean, there's, there's a, I think there's one layer to it where we do need big permanent things and sit down shows. And, and one of the things that LA has been lacking are when someone just says like, well, but like, what should I go see more still more often than, well, not more often than not, but, but still often our answer is, well, nothing's open right now, but in two weeks or right. well, everything's sold out at the moment. Mm-hmm. And just this idea that we could say, Oh, you know, you can go see this in three weeks or you can go see this this weekend. Like I long for the day when there's, quality stuff that we can always point people to, but not to the exclusion of once they come inside this world, things like, Oh yeah, there was, there was a little, there's a little thing bubbled up Mm -hmm. last week. I mean, you know, when we start to see 
more student shows or you know people at USC and CalArts and UCB like experimenting with the form like what can we do to kind of bring people in and and you know the pace of work in those places you know stuff comes and goes oh, and disappears that's and then insane. yeah um and and just getting people getting people to be used to the idea of it's a part of the culture as a whole right right um that's that's a cultural win for us if it isn't necessarily an industry win for totally us, right? i think so um and that's that's got to be it's got to be like one of the overall goals yeah you know? i mean you know i think uh, you know th- i'm not saying anything new here but th- this is you know we we live in a world where everybody everything is about the indiv- individual you mm-hmm. know the individualized experience you know we can now order takeout from restaurants that don't have delivery that, you know, and yeah, and so you or, can, or take out from restaurants that aren't really restaurants; they're just a kitchen. Ex- you know, exactly. And you can get, you know, I mean, more than ever, you can get what you want when you want. You know, we have everybody has their own personal driver now. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks to Uber and Lyft and, and, and companies like that, everyone has their own delivery people now, and everything is tailored to us. You know, it's like, um, and so I think it, you know, it, it makes sense. And there, you know, that's a double-edged sword that goes both ways. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about the communal experience and 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 that's that's one of the other reasons i i love theater is because i love being in a space experiencing you know going to the movie theater for example i just went last night down at beyond fest oh, like, what'd you see um uh that was it the girl uh, the, oh my god the, the girl on the third floor you're gonna have to just check me on this you can <laughs> overdub it the um the girl on the third... F- oh, Don't God. worry about it. We'll um, move on. Yeah, we'll dub it in. Um, <laughs> but down at... Be- whatever. But ADR, down, ADR, ADR. Yeah, but down at Beyond Fest. Um, but, you, you know, it's like it's like some of these movies, like, I don't know if I'd ever really watch them in my living room, but but watching them in a theater full of people that love this kind of thing... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, an am- it's amazing. It's oh, a ton of... Oh, that's why I still go to, like, opening nights of things. Totally. You know? like that, the, that experience of being in the line and, like, everyone everyone cheering. Like, when you get a room full of people cheering for something that's on screen because they're all there in an emotional high together, like, yeah. it's it's religion to me. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, th- that, that immersive theater in these small situations is the ultra individualization of the theatrical experience. You know, you're, you're, you're being given one-on-one time or sometimes like three performers to one, one audience, you know, even more. And, and it seems like a world is being created just for you and your answers and your truth are changing the story right in front of you. You know, it's the, it's the individualization of theater. And I think that that's very, that's very powerful, but, you know, we can run the risk of, of losing, of missing out on some of that communal experience. And yeah. I think that a lot of great companies work with both, you know, and that's, that's powerful. I think in the early days, one of the things that I loved the most was, you know, something like, you know, any lessers getting to know you where it was eight actors to eight. Um, it was like around eight actors to eight audience members. And it was kind of done this round Robin style. Uh, and you got a, you got a little moment with each of the actors, um, and, and started and stopped with, with the same one. But then afterwards, um, if, you know, you could grab other, um, other audience members and go because, because the way it was set up was that each of those characters was on an arc and each of those characters treated you like you were the person they were on the arc with. So it's like speed dating. Yeah. Like speed dating, <laughs> but like they're always treating you like that you're the same person. Okay. Like, like, um, well, no, no get get clear here 
each character treats you like you're a different person, but from the point of view of the actor, each audience member they sit down across from is the same character they've been talking to all along. Right. I get so it. Uh, I just want to make sure people are listening and get it. So when you would go afterwards and sit down with others, you would say, Oh, the, the girl working at the, 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 the fried chicken shack, like, you know, I talked to her at this point, like what, what was going on at that? When you talked to her, what was it? And you start to be able uh, to piece together, um, what the hell was going on. Right. Um, cause you still wind up having this like emotional arc because you were, you were getting the actors at different emotional beats in their, in their cycles. So it was, it was this interesting, you know, fractal kind of way of doing things. And it, it only kind of came together when, you got back together and put the pieces. Of the you puzzle. needed each other. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Like like in a like in an escape room, you kind of need each other to mm-hmm. to kind of build it all. And and there there is this and when the work I feel is like working at its its highest point. There is this balance between the individual and the collective, and like you know all the different pieces we we get together and, and weave into some bigger whole. Yeah. Um, what. What are you, what are you hoping, um, as, as an actor who works in this space, at least part of the time, what are you hoping to see, uh, be the maturation of it? Um, I would love, I would love to see, I would love to see venues that are, that are dedicated to this kind of work Mm. more. Um, it would be, it would be great for for this kind of this kind of work to have some home bases, um, I, I mean, because the nature of the work, of course, takes it from place to place. I mean, you know, it's either site specific or it's a it's a it's a build that you know that we can't you know that a company can't afford to to keep indefinitely in a space. Of course, I mean that's 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 theater. And um, but I would it would be neat to have some sort of malleable spaces that could could showcase development of these pieces so that the community could be involved with those things. I mean, it's very difficult to do like a the stage what is the staged reading of mm. of a of a okay. of an immersive piece? You know, it's because a how, question right there. You know, like where where does that where what is that? You know, that's such a I, I do a little bit of playwriting and that's such a valuable tool as a playwright. But but for immersive theater, you need to know what the audience is going to do. You need to have a, a test audience. Yeah. But it's it's so integral to the creation of the piece. Um, so where can that happen? And um, and also where can with short of renting the mausoleum, right. you know, in Altadena, where can a small scale show be put up in? In, in in a few in a few weeks, yeah. Where can where can that happen, or where can there be a festival of immersive stuff? How can that happen? You know, so some some kind of malleable space where different companies could kind of like be resident for a little while, yeah, and develop work and yeah. show that and share that with their community and get feedback. I think that that I would love to see that. Yeah, I think one of the things that's holding us back there is like people are still trying to find commercial answers for all this and, (laughs) and, and look, there'll be some, but for there to be, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. We need, 
we need some very specific physical infrastructure in order to to take things uh, a next step. Yeah. Um, and a festival has been a been a dream of mine for a while. And we're we're making some efforts in that way. And every two years, without walls pops up down in San Diego, which mm-hmm. is great and it's happening again right now. And but again, that's like every two years. Right. And uh, biennials are are, are are good, but there's there's a there's this weird sort of chicken and the egg thing where it's like if we could feed more work in, we could grow the audience. And if we grow the audience, we could sustain more work. But like where where does the initial oomph come from? Right. And in the world of finance capitalism, if someone isn't can't see a clear exit on the way out, um, they're not going to drop the cash. It's a little bit different in, in uh, entertainment industry, luckily, but I don't, there hasn't been anything, you know, other than them like, you know, popping up another sleep no more right. in Shanghai, you know? Um, and so I get, I get, a, I have to be concerned. It's just like, it's, it just, it just takes somebody somewhere having the patience to Not give it a vision. chance. Yeah. yeah. It's just the patience. I think the vision is there. Yeah. I mean, it, God, if, if something like that just opened up, I mean, wouldn't there be a small army of folks that are ready to, ready to pitch in? Oh, if we could, like, there's, there's a very specific kind of construct that I would, that I would want to build and maybe one day we'll get a chance to, I mean, that's, that's kind of the hope. Like I, I, I talk about it privately, but like, you know, the aim of this one day is to have the Sundance of immersive. You right? heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of people have heard me say it, but I don't, I don't I tend to say it on the show. Um, mostly because I, I, I don't like to dream too loudly in public lest you <laughs> scare away the, the dreams. Um, but there's, there's some things that could be done. Yeah. Like if there was a, if there was a center, you know, if there was a hard physical plant, Yeah. I mean, let's be clear, you know, it's, it's great that, you know, like, like, you know, John, what John's doing at Thymele yeah. and, and supporting people and incubating that way. Um, and I just think if, you know, if we had you know, someplace that was dedicated to, you know, showcasing work in a couple of different ways and to getting people through that and, and ways of creating grants to, you know, fund people mm-hmm. and, and that whole structure. And it'll yeah. take a while to get there. And of course, in no way to undermine what, what John is doing down at Thymele. I mean, that place is, yeah. it's amazing. Um, yeah. And we all use it oh, all yeah. the time. No, I mean, without, I mean, honestly, without it, there wouldn't be the amount of work that there already is. Absolutely not. Which just, you know, sparks the question of like, okay, like what would happen if, you know, we had more space, you know, if we had, you know, if we had the, the kind of a, got our hands like an, on an old studio here and, you know, got to go hog wild. Exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe one day it'll happen, you know, um, or maybe the entire economy is going to crash and it'll be like, would you like fries with that, sir? For me in about, you know, six weeks. But um, <laughs> that's good to know that that's something else people want. I mean, I, God, it would be so neat. It would be so cool. I mean, look at like look at UCB and how it's kind of a cultural hub for the improv world. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. They have a cafe. There's people hanging out there all the time. People know each other. I mean, it took a long time. I mean, what they have now, like, I mean, my God, UCB on Franklin was there for like what 15 years. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, UCB in New York is under a isn't was in the basement of a of a grocery store. Yeah, you know, and it's now, of course, they've expanded, but that. 
yeah, it's, I mean, it took a long, long time to get there, but it's, it's, it's so, they have such a culture. Yeah. And the funny thing is it took a long, long time to get there, even with some of the, you know, original founders, like being like super stars, you know, like it's still, but that, yeah, the, the, the degree to which they've got the infrastructure. I still, you know, I still haven't been to the one on sunset yet. Oh, it's really cool. I need to go at some point. Yeah. I took some classes there and the theater is really cool. The whole place is nice. They got a nice cafe with another little theater there. It's awesome. Are all the classes there now? Like, cause they used to be spread out all over the place. Yeah. I think that, I mean, cause I remember a while ago taking classes in some rehearsal studios that they were renting. I think that most, if not all of the classes are, I'm like speaking out of turn. I don't really know, but I think that most of them are, are at down at sunset now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how it rolled out. Because like I remember taking a class first year I was here over at the Lyric Hyperion, mm-hmm. um, and then um, seeing like when when Schkop still existed uh, in Theater Row, like they were renting out. But then I remember when they opened up a new facility, it was just like all suddenly like oh, it's all getting getting sucked back in. There. Totally. I mean, they have it's quite a machine that they've got operating over there. You oh, know? seriously, serious machine. Um, well, Alex, what? else do you have do you have any you've got your own theater company yeah a little chance to plug it right now we're called things from before um and uh it's been a little while god if any of my company members listen to this they're gonna um they're gonna call me and wonder what we're up to i we're i'm working on some things i'm doing a lot of writing i'm doing a lot of quiet things now um um what else can i plug i'm in alt delete right now Awesome. Um, which is the chapter two of the Blue Blade. Could that almost be considered a spoiler that you're in ultimately? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but while well, I play, yeah, is it a spoiler? I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah. you listed somewhere, you know. Yeah. yeah. It, no, it's probably it's probably a findable fact. Yeah. Yeah. We'll treat it that way. Um, so so that's what I'm I'm working on that right now. Um, and hopefully a few other things in the works. I'm working on an adaptation uh, of a play that I'm I'm going to be working with a company called Coin and Ghost, mm. uh, which I'm looking forward to. That's that's going to be next year. So there's a little while out for that, thankfully. <laughs> but um, that's a, a young company founded by another CalArts CalArts uh, uh, powerhouse, and um, I'm excited to work with them. I've acted with them before, but I'm excited to work in a different capacity with them also. And, uh, they just did a what bad Hamlet? Yeah, recently? they did a bad Hamlet. Yeah, I yeah. think, and I remember, I remember hearing tale of Shia LaBeouf like brought his company because this is something that's that people actors here know. Like Shia will sometimes bring his entire theater company to like buy out a show and to like see it, and apparently like got into an argument with them about why they weren't just actually fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I I also heard this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, Shia, if uh, if you reach out, I can. I'd love to have a sit down with you about why it's not necessarily a good idea to actually fight during a show that has to go up four times a week for a few months. That yeah. um, could be could be dangerous. So. I mean, you know, it could be, could be. It could turn out badly. Yeah, I mean, wrestling doesn't, but that's a whole other thing. I'm kidding. Those guys are, by the way, but it does actually. They get hurt. But they yeah. do. But so it's actually coincidental that you. That you that you mention wrestling. I'm not a wrestler, but okay. I, and I'm not I'm not even a super fan. I was when I was young. Oh yeah, what what little boy at some point was? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, I grew up with you know with the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. and these guys. Yeah. Um, so Macho Man. Yeah. I'm actually there's a show that I'm working on right now that uh, is a is a two header and uh, one of the characters is a 
is a famous wrestler. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, so I've been revisiting that world quite a bit. It's uh, it's a fun, it's a fun, fun world. I mean, there's lots of dimensions to it. I haven't, I haven't, uh, oh, it's God, it's been a good 15, 15 plus years since I like followed it all. Um, but occasionally I'll just like, you know, glance over at like things on the internet. Cause like, cause once in a while it'll like bubble up, like r- the wrestling internet is about like two stops away <laughs> f- on, on the line from mine and it'll <laughs> spill out. It'll be like, what's going on? <laughs> Who's this guy? Why? Yeah. And then hearing the old stories about, you know, you know, kayfabe and, and works and all this stuff. And honestly, when it comes to like things about around suspension of disbelief and, um, there you go. Yeah. And, and you know what, you know, where, where to sort of draw the line for like, you know, like how far do you go with the audience? Uh, I mean, there's no better field to look at it than wrestling and to look at like what happened when they sort of walked away from big chunks of the kayfabe code, right? Like there's, there's all the winking that goes on and then there's a little bit of like, yeah, but really, you know, it's not. And then it'll go back and, and, it's, yeah. it's blurry as hell, yeah. you know, or just how smart Vince McMahon is to make him himself into like a super villain, uh, because then everyone just expects him to be a total piece of garbage. And somehow, somehow this is the second conversation about Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon I've had today. Something's happening. Something's happening. There's something in the world. What? I don't know. I haven't, his, his mouth, his name has not crossed my lips in, I, in a long, long time. Twice today, I've I've it, been talking about Vince McMahon. It, it it doesn't hurt that the president was once a WWE superstar, so <laughs> functionally, so um, you know th- that's the thing. That's the problem is that like they crossed the kayfabe line, and suddenly we've been in we've been in Super Slam for yeah. the past three years. Yeah, it never right? has never ended. Right? Yeah. No. So just saying, rock calling on you rocky you got to do this you got to fix this it's <laughs> fix only it, you please. can fix it you and stone cold steve austin can <laughs> fix america it's been, it's oh all... god what <laughs> wrestlemania <laughs> for all the marbles oh no here we go all right on that it's absolutely absurd no but but honestly audience think about wrestling think about it uh on that ridiculous note um thanks for joining me today oh man it's been a real pleasure thank you for having me Once again, I want to thank Alex Demers for being our guest on the show today. Um, I went way long in the open, so I'm not going to go for too long here, in part because I have to uh, pack and uh, go down to San Diego to cover Without Walls, which I am excited about doing. And I got a couple of family tours uh, before uh, I do that. Um, So, yeah, got to run, 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 run. Uh, My first show's at 5 o'clock. So, yeah. and I want to meet up with uh, Charlie Miller of uh, the DCPA before that. Okay. Um, I promised you a little bit about cages. So cages is um, a, um, oh gosh. Um, what cages isn't is it's not an immersive show. All right. Um, cages is kind of a living music video. Uh, there's a musical duo called uh, Wolf and the Wonder Show, um, and they've put on uh, an basically an album album length music video 
live divided into two acts. Um, between those two acts, there's some, uh, the, during intermission, it's possible to visit, um, sets essentially from the world they've built, uh, that are inhabited by some characters, uh, who are played by actors who basically are the chorus of, uh, of the show. Um, for the most part, it's, it's a, it's the, the, the band, the one, the kind of the one man band and, uh, the lead singer, uh, and the, 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 the musician is kind of up into the side, uh, kind of in a, in a balcony spot. And, uh, the lead singer is, uh, performing, um, vigorously performing, um, on a set between, between two screens. Uh, and in that, between those two screens, uh, there is a massive amount of magic in the form of, uh, projection mapping, uh, rear projections, um, Pepper's ghost type action, uh, it is just technologically just amazing. Um, it's, uh, a relatively simple story. Uh, it's a love story. It's uh, it's a concept album around, uh, a love story in a loveless land. Um, and, uh, the, the, the musical style kind of takes us into that, um, you know, goth emo kind of zone. So you get, get little hints of, you know, my chemical romance and, and, um, um, Amanda Palmer in there, uh, Dresden dolls action, but kind of with a, with a bigger synth palette going on some, some heavy new wave influences. Um, it really just total spectacle, uh, when it comes to just what's going on technically and the, the lead, the, the singer and, and our lead performer just, you know, just cannot undercut what he's doing in terms of performing with the projections and, and, and the qualities of what he's bringing physically to the role is are, are spectacular. And for like the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes like it's impossible at times to tell what is a human what is a projection uh you accumulate over a while but but just on on the sheer level of if you're if you're interested in um kind of what the what the the theoretical upper limit of of uh stage technology is right now particularly around projections um and and look I say projections and you're thinking like, mm, okay, projection. No, uh, uh, nope, nope. Unless, unless you're Steve Clems or some of the people I know who do this stuff for a living, right? If you're, if you're some of those folks, if you're designing and you're working on these things, um, then yeah, you know, what's up. If you don't, then you don't know. And even those who like are working on it, know what's up. Uh, the execution on a lot of this is really, really fantastic right from the jump, from the load in of the show and going on. Um, this, this thing deserves to be seen. Uh, don't walk in expecting, uh, an immersive experience, you know, putting scare quotes on that, but you will get hints of that. And the scenic in, um, in the kind of the lobby area and in the, in the lead in to the theater, the, the ingress to the theater and egress, um, are beyond reproach. Uh, so just, just strap yourself in, um, and, um, and, and, and go for the ride. 
um, it's, it's, it's spectacular in terms of, you know, it being a spectacle. Uh, I've, I've got some issues here and there. Hi, it's me. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling with one particular aspect of it, uh, which I'll, I'll write about, but I think it's worth going, um, without a doubt, if that's your thing, if what you're only, if what you're interested in primarily is, um, you know, having deep moments between yourself and a performer, um, this is not the place for that. Uh, you will not find that here. Uh, if you're interested in the full spectrum, if you're interested in how immersive elements can, can fit into, um, you know, f- go alongside more traditional forms of work. Um, if you're interested in what the future of a concert going experience could be, um, this piece, it's experimental in that way. It, it asks a lot of questions, takes a lot of risks, borrows a lot from everyone and kind of pushes the, pushes how far, you know, the circle is, uh, for the, the kind of elements that, uh, we're interested in and how they can all fit together. And, and that's just, you know, completely exciting. Um, and, and there's, there are moments in the show that are, that you take your breath away. I will say if you have an issue with strobes, stay the hell away from this. Um, uh, sorry, Brian, sorry for the other people I know. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of strobe effects. Lights are used on the audience a lot, uh, to a stunning effect. But if you are photosensitive, you, you do not go, do not stay far away um, uh, it, the, those are integral to the show. Um, uh, they, they play a lot with that in order to, uh, you know, induce certain, do certain states is pushing it a bit, but like, no, you, you will, you will, you can't, you just can't, um, which of course is unfortunate, but it's, you know, there's, there's a lot that they're doing there, um, to make certain things work. And, um, Sometimes that's the way things are. Um, it, it would be it'd be interesting, uh, you know. It'd be, it'd be if they could, you know, lean away from some of that or or find like a, a different aspect to it. But because so much stuff is projection based, even the screen itself, like if they if they removed some of those elements where they're they're pushing light on on folks, I think it might you might still find people uh, being photosensitive, um, right? So that's the thing. It's, it's a real thing. And I'm sure I would feel much different about it if, if I had any of those issues, um, uh, aside from like, I would have had to remove myself from the theater. Uh, I might also, uh, be kind of upset that I wasn't able to go, uh, check it out. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of what they're doing that's interesting is heavily leaning on that stuff. So, if it, that stuff doesn't work for you or causes you discomfort, then you're not really missing anything from a, from a certain point of view. Um, cause it's so integral to what they're doing. Um, yeah, there we go. That's cages. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes and I'm looking at the time and you know what? I got to get out of here. So we're going to do the credits. Um, the music for No Presidium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Presidium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F. Lonnie Hanson, 
Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Uh, you can find everything we do at NoPersinium.com. We're at NoPersinium on Twitter and Facebook. We're at No underscore Persinium on Instagram, which you should really, 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 really follow because of all the takeovers that we do, and we'll have plenty of stuff coming out of WoW. And uh, we're starting uh, the 13 days of Halloween this week, so something new every day on the gram. Uh, you can send us information about the shows you're making at pitches at nopersinium.com. That is the proper way to reach out to us. Uh, Patreon.com slash nopersinium is how you support us and tell your friends. I know so many of you give to the show already. Um, tell your friends. Tell all your friends. I'm Batman. Some things are just, just automatically programmed into my brain. Um, there, that's it. Uh, I'm not Batman, despite what some people think. Um, I'm Noah Nelson. I'm your host. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. This is uh this is good material. This is this is kind of the the, the way it would go. Um, oh yeah, those these are great pencils. They are fantastic. Yeah, the black ones. Same one. Yeah, <laughs> I've got. I've actually got like I haven't been. I, I it's been like a year actually since I've used one of the black wings. Uh, but I've got like both the regular and the Steinbeck because how could I not get the Steinbeck? How do you avoid getting the Steinbeck? You just can't. It's impossible. Yeah, you, you and absolutely have to. They um they smell good when you sharpen them. Did you get the little black wing sharpener? I don't have the black wing sharpener. Uh, I have a little brass sharpener that's also very tactile. And it weighs like, you know, a quarter pound. Oh, my God. I mean, not really, but it's heavy for its size. Yeah. And it feels substantial. Yeah. No, I, w- I went through that full, like, pencil phase. And I got, I got, then they made a lovely book for it. And I was using it, I was using it for a specific purpose. And then that purpose went away. So then I stopped using the pencils so much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's just something... It was free. It was freeing to write with a pencil. I'm I'm like a feel guy. Yeah, like I like to print things out and mark them up with pencils, and I like to sit in rehearsals with a pencil. Awesome. You know, yeah. This this may this may all wind up like being put like after the music. Um, <laughs> Alex, do me a favor. Sure. Uh, old NPR trick. I want you to state your name and uh, and your title vis a vis our discussion today. The, what is our discussion today? We're just going to talk about like acting, acting and immersive. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm I'm Alex Demers, and I'm an immersive actor. I, not just an immersive actor. I'm all sorts of actor, but I'm I find myself drawn to immersive work. All right. That will just get used for the cold open. It won't actually be broadcasted out. It's an old NPR trick because if you do wind up cutting it together, then you have someone saying their name and their title, and then you just use the clip and you go. Um, as I tell everybody, this is just a conversation. And so we're going to talk about acting and acting in immersive. Cool. Um,